The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this episode are that of the guest and host and do not necessarily reflect the values of sponsors or other associated organizations. Welcome to the Parental Compass by Family Education and Support Services. I am your host, Bobby Williams. Please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. Hit subscribe. We got a new episode every week. Tough topic today. Absent fathers. Our guest is Tim Olson. Tim is the author of the new book, The Legacy of Absence available wherever quality books are sold. Throughout his career, Tim has been an educator, a pastor, a life coach. He's done a lot. We spoke about the impact absent fathers have on greater society, what it means to be truly present with your children, and forgiveness. We're glad you're here. Check it out. And so, so dad is doing these things that uh, uh, help them to understand that they are accepted. And this acceptance, this identity part of uh, being acceptance, accepted is something we look for in our lives, our entire lives, if we don't get it from dad. And typically that means we look for it in uh, unacceptable ways that give us the wrong answers. And we've even identified some of those ways, but um, uh, what what all of them come down to that they're looking for is that sense of being accepted. That's one of the reasons that gangs are so popular, for instance. Mm -hmm. uh, kids get into gangs because they're accepted. They may not be loved <laughs> in, a, in a street gang, but they're accepted. And if they if they do what they're supposed to do, uh, they are, are valued. And uh, that's what we see coming primarily through dad and what we look for in dad. Everyone just wants to feel accepted and secure in themselves. And absolutely, yeah, when you don't have that, people can go on to do bad things or be a jerk or try to find acceptance in other ways in their life. So, I mean, that makes sense to me. What do you think is the root cause to absent fathers, because it seems like it's very prevalent. Like I've heard statistics that one in four families, I don't know if that's entirely true, but what do you think's behind all that? Actually, the figure is higher. It's uh, an average of one third of all families in our country, in the United States, are considered to be uh, fatherless, hmm. uh, meaning they are primarily led by single parent families. And uh, for most of those, the vast majority of them are single mother families. In fact, uh, that is based on international census figures. So it's not something we're just imagining. And uh, in certain societies, that's much higher. It can be as high as 60 to 65% of all the fathers are missing in certain cultures. Why so many absent fathers? Uh, there, there are a lot of uh, reasons for that, and so it's hard to say, well, this is it. But generally, they, uh, they aren't prepared for it. None of us are prepared for it. But they have this attitude of, uh, this is what I saw in my father. 
it's a it is so generational it's amazing i saw this in my father and so this is the way dads are they are just gone now so let me throw something else in there when we talk about being absent there are really two major uh, differences in the definition they can be physically absent mm-hmm. and that's the one third that that's a, a definable thing measurable thing they can also be absent emotionally intellectually spiritually uh in ways where they are there physically but they might as well not be there and the the interesting thing is in our observations this can't be measured but in our observations it is a larger group than that one third of physically absent fathers this is this is huge and the label that we put on that group is passive they are there but they are unengaged they are uninvolved they might be to a certain extent but overall they do not know their children enough i think sometimes a big challenge is just being present in life like you have work you have your relationships you have all the things that are stressing you out and just remembering to like stop and be in the moment can be so hard yes so we even say this absence is generated sometimes by work. Um, when men are first entering the workforce, uh, especially as a husband and, and then as a father, their goal is to provide. I have to get a job because I have to provide for the family. But it doesn't take too long of their, them being there where it starts to become about now I can get more money if I spend, if I spend more time or get more training and so on. If I I can get more authority, I can get more responsibility, I can feel better about what I'm doing. And all these things start to be about what he can do, rather than about him being the father and providing. It it stops being about providing, but about all these other things. Well, so much of your identity can be tied up into your work too, and how you think about yourself and get a sense of purpose. And I, I can see how that happens. Sure. And, and other things uh, besides work can be sports. Some guys are into sports so much that it takes precedence over their family. And uh, it might be TV. I, I've known men who, who come home from work, they're tired, they don't want to be bothered by the family. Uh, they want to eat supper, they sit down and read the paper or watch TV, keep the kids away, and then they go to bed, they get up the next day and repeat the same thing. It, it kind of sounds like how you thought of fathers in the 50s or something where it's like, come home, dinner's ready. Don't talk to him for a half hour till he can kind of regroup from the work day. And as a society, we're sort of progressing to ideas where it's like men need to be emotionally present, but we're not always brought up with that line of thinking or you brought up how you see your own father. So we always kind of end up like our dads in a way. Like sometimes I'll say something and it's like, that's my dad's voice saying that. So if you didn't have a good example, it can be a really tough thing. Right. We, we do a lot of exercises that way too with men, well, with, with women too, uh, to say, give me five ways that you're like your father and five ways you're not like him. And just thinking about that is so eye-opening to them to realize that, well, I'm more like my dad than I realized. And then 
uh, we've been in uh, halfway houses, for instance, where we'll ask some of these questions. And the response was, uh, was is often, well, my, my grandfather was like this, my dad was, I am, my kids will be, that's just the cards that were dealt with us for us and we will always be like this. And my response to them is, you know, you can't change how tall you are, the color of your skin, the uh, um, things about you like that physically primarily, but there are many character qualities, many issues about who you are that you can change and you can make a difference. In fact, if you don't, if there are things about you that you don't care for and you don't intentionally address those and change them, you will most assuredly pass them on to the next generation. It's tough to think what is a core personality trait and what's something you could do some work on yourself and get better at. Life life is complicated sometimes. Sometimes they maybe were living in one city and had a child and then broke up with the mother and then moved to a different city and so now they're not present. That's that's a complicated situation. Is there a way to still be present if you don't live in the same city? Let me give you an example. In fact, I have this story in my book from Ukraine. We were at a high school working with high school seniors. And there was a class that uh, had quite a variety of observable personalities in it. Mm-hmm. And there were three or four fellows who were sitting in the back. And they were the kind that were um, making snide comments to each other and kind of laughing at at things that were done and and so on. And uh, uh, just not really participating, not wanting to participate. And so we were able to catch the what seemed to be the ringleader of these fellows as they went out and uh, said, so tell us about your dad. And he said, my dad. Uh, works in another country and this is very common over there Uh, Mm -hmm. just that many not many jobs available and uh, I never I haven't seen him for years and uh, he he's just not involved in our lives at all and the the kicker is he says I don't need him I can do life without him and later in the day we went to another school and talked to another class of seniors. And there was a, a group of kids uh, kind of sitting part way back. Almost all of them, it was a different kind of school. Almost all of them did have, were dressed very nicely. In fact, a lot of the guys had ties on. And uh, we, we caught one fellow who was quite engaged with us on the way out. And we said, so tell us about your father. And he said, well, my dad works outside of the country. That's the only place he can find work. And, but he calls us almost every night, at least several times a week. And we talk, uh, he invites us to go to see where he works once a year. We might spend a couple of weeks there and he comes home and spends a couple of weeks on vacation. And so here we have two young men with fathers in identical situations. And one father has chosen to be involved. The other has not. And the one who's chosen to be involved has found ways, and it's almost always possible. And this is something we recognize when we work with fathers from all different walks of life, that if they choose and want to be involved with their kids, they'll find a way. 
And it's very easy if they don't. It's very easy to to have the excuses of it's too bad I have to be gone. Mm-hmm. Well, I think about uh, like fathers in prison too. That's a difficult situation, and a lot of people in prison. There are again a variety of ways we work in, for instance, the Minnesota state prison system, and we meet with the prisoners and we teach them all these things about fatherlessness, and many of them get it. And they want to move towards their wives and towards their children. And, uh, but it's much more difficult. It's easier for children, especially adult children, is what we're primarily talking about here, to move towards their fathers who are in prison or who aren't in prison. doesn't matter. Uh, it, it's just, I don't, I don't know if it's partly embarrassment or what, that makes it difficult for fathers to, to reach out to their children and, and essentially say, hey, I'm sorry about the way I've been as a father, and would you please forgive me? But for, for kids to do just the opposite, um, it works much more easily. And if the, if the mom reaches out to the father, that's kind of a rare exception, but it, it helps where the father realizes, hey, they, they're, they're reaching out to me, I can do something about this. It can be a big encouragement. Say that you're a parent who hasn't been involved for maybe several years and you want to be involved now. Is there any path to reconciliation or how could you even begin doing that? One of the things that we do with the, with the men and women who want to reconcile with their fathers is we have them write a dear dad letter. And in, the, in that, they express their feelings uh, we try to make it as factual as possible uh, as we can. In other words, um, uh, Dad, you weren't there for me. Why was that? Where were you? I needed you uh, as a dad, and you were gone. And uh, it's things like that that help them start to uh, open the door. Uh, the dad may never respond. In fact, a lot of them will say, I have no idea where my dad is, so I guess I don't have to write the letter. And we say, no, you really need to write the letter because this is going to help you uh, reconcile. It takes two to reconcile, but in our minds and in our hearts, there are two. We're appealing to them. We're writing to them. And so essentially they are there. And if, if uh, they might have even died and we say, write the letter, get your emotions out and then take it to the cemetery and read it to them or maybe even burn it. Uh, throw it away, do, do whatever you want to, to, or send it to them, uh, give it to them, see if there is a way for you to be able to start the process going. So um, those are some steps. Yeah, carrying anger with you is such a weight and such a hard thing to let go of. And some people carry it till they die. Uh, what about on the flip side of that of fathers who want to reconcile with their children? Well, it's the same thing. They, they need to be able to get to the point of going to their sons and daughters, and usually by now they're adult sons and daughters. And, uh, and the, the best thing is, again, to put their thoughts into writing first, because they start to listen to themselves, and they can hear them, them saying things that, oh, that, that wouldn't be good, a good way to say it. But if they don't write it down first, they find themselves saying things that are inappropriate. Um, it's, 
one of the first things we say is that that trying to reconcile cannot be about blaming or accusing. It's about understanding what happened and bringing healing and bringing the two parties back together again. For some people, this can happen in, in minutes with a phone call. Um, for, for a son or a daughter to hear their dad on the telephone say, you know, uh, son, uh, daughter, sweetheart, I am so sorry for what I did to you by not being there. Uh, and I would like to get together again. Could you find it in your heart to forgive me? And you'd be surprised at how many will say, oh, dad, I've been waiting to hear those words my whole life. Let's get together. And so it's, it's taking that first step. Yeah. Um, I, I could give you a, a story and try not to make it too long about my own kids. Go for it. When each of them, I have three children. When each of them was about the age of 20, I took them to a restaurant, someplace that was kind of public. And I said to them, um, the first thing I want to want to say to you is that there are many things that may have happened to you that that I did that might have hurt you and made you angry and upset. And the thing I want to say to you is I would have never done something like that intentionally. And I'm so sorry for those times. I could see the, the wheels in their minds working uh, to, to think now, okay, what were those things? I remember them and so on. And I said, I, uh, I'm really sorry. Would you please forgive me? And um, fortunately, they all said yes, that they would. And the thing about forgiveness is that the power that that, that has, those instances have over them, uh, disappears. It goes away when forgiveness is given. I, I and think... we find out that when we don't forgive, we're put into a, a prison of unforgiveness. And we're the only ones there. The other party isn't there. And, and so forgiveness is so important on that step. I think healing and things like grief can be a really long process though, or sometimes you're like, okay, I feel a little better. And then the next day I'm still kind of angry or, you know, it takes time and like work too. And um, your behavior in the future can show things. And I, it just makes me think about a lot of different things. Yes, I mentioned that uh, some can happen just within minutes over a phone call. Uh, I know of a, of a man that I had a conflict with and forgiveness took me five years to get to that point. Um, and I've been working with two men, brothers. They are in their uh, around 40, give or take. And uh, we've been working on reconciliation with their father uh, for probably two years now. And they are ready, but they, they know that it's not gonna work just to dump, to dump this on their dad. They need to do it step by step with their father. And so they're willing to take the time. And uh, so, yes, it, it can take years. It can take uh, months. It can take uh, overnight or even even minutes. It depends. So be willing, be open to giving it whatever it takes. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today and 
um, an important conversation. Do you have any closing thoughts that you'd like to leave the audience with? One of the things that I've noticed uh, since I was a teacher myself uh, for um, 17 years and a school principal is that very often at parent conferences, moms come and dads don't. And the dads uh, are working, they're uh, doing all kinds of things, but it's amazing the signals that this sends to the kids. It's like all the other things we discussed earlier. Kids know when dad is choosing something other than themselves. And that sends a lot of messages ultimately ending up being abandonment. And I just want to uh, say that uh, dads need to be involved in ways beyond providing. And the, the answer to uh, being uninvolved is being involved. That might sound simplistic, but that, that really takes care of it. That handles it. Right on. Well, thank you so much for being here today. You're welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you, Tim. We are glad to have you on the new book, The Legacy of Absence. Look it up. This has been the Parental Compass by Family Education and Support Services. I'm Bobby Williams. We'll see you next week. Peace.